Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hidden Lives of Writers. My name's Fiona Snickers, and I'm joined by Gail Schimmel. Hello, everyone. Gail, I'm almost scared to ask, are you still on a writing hiatus or have you resumed? So I've been doing a lot of work this week on the Katie Gale writing. So I feel a little mm-hmm. bit like I am writing again um, and that my brain is taken up a little bit with plotting. And that really is what's been interesting about this week because we are in the stage of a book where we're coming to the end. We, we now know exactly who committed the murder in the current book and how it's all going to come to an end. And we're having to go back and remove the things we put in that we thought would lead somewhere and didn't. And it's it's quite interesting seeing how in a murder mystery, if you're not a very careful chapter-by-chapter plotter and you do a little bit of pantsing in it, you put in a whole lot of leads that go nowhere and you go back and you're like, what on earth were we trying to imply with this paragraph? We must have had some idea, but we don't know what. So it's been it's been quite fun and interesting and seeing how where our brains started and where our brains are ending the change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about you, Fiona? How's your writing week been? Still getting up at the crack of dawn, are we? I am. I am. I'm, I'm keeping that going. I've, I feel slightly exhausted because I've been cutting my sleep short in order to get up early and write, but it, it always feels worth it afterwards. Uh, I think I talked last week about how I was starting to familiarize myself with the final draft software um, mm-hmm. for writing a screenplay. And I am slowly getting the hang of it. I'm realizing that it allows you to sort of enter the name of a person who's going to be saying the dialogue, then the dialogue. It lets you give some direction about the shots you want to use, mm. some comments about what the actor might do, some of the action that's taking place. So I'm, I'm becoming more familiar with the idiom there, which is freeing me up to think about how exactly I would like this movie to look. And I was busy doing something that I thought was really cheating. I had a script open in front of me and I was looking at how that filmmaker created that script and thinking now what can I use in creating my script and uh, we had a sort of chemistry meeting with a possible director over Zoom. A chemistry meeting? Uh, we really are talking the jargon. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we're just sort of seeing, you know, whether there, there is a good vibe between us. And, and I have to say, hopefully, that there was. So fingers crossed. But she was saying, oh, I hope you've got some scripts open in front of you to see how they do it. And I was like, oh, I thought that was cheating. You mean I'm allowed to do that? <laughs> And she gave some recommendations of scripts that she uses for teaching because she she does lecture in film. And one of them was American Beauty mm-hmm. and um, also, I think, uh, Good Will Hunting. And there were a couple of others. But to somebody who is sort of trying to learn screenwriting, mm-hmm. whether it's for TV or feature film, it's not at all a bad idea to look at how someone else has done it. Mm. And I used to do that with novels. I mm. taught myself plotting by taking a favorite novel and breaking it down into its elements and seeing what that writer did and asking myself, can I do the same thing? Fiona, that's so interesting because that leads to what I'm consuming at the moment mm-hmm. um, and how I'm consuming it maybe more. So I found myself yesterday at the hairdresser where there is normally good Wi-Fi and I work very well and the Wi-Fi was down 
Mm -hmm. I didn't have a book with me. I've actually just finished the book that I was reading. So I sat for a bit and I looked around and then I thought, no, I I want to read. I've got to do something with my time. Mm -hmm. And I went back to our favorites, Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen, and I am reading their book, You Are Not Alone. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested, first of all, so many things there that interest me about my own behavior. Why do I see it as a slightly naughty thing I'm doing? I think maybe it's a bit because I was trying to save that type of read for holiday and Mm -hmm. I'm cheating and reading it not on holiday and having that holiday read yummy feeling. Yeah. But secondly, what is it about their writing that is so compelling? And this new one is just as compelling as they always are. I think it's quite an old book for them. It's a new book for me. What is it they do? that draws you in, that follows a formula that other writers use, but they do it so well Mm. that you don't feel manipulated by the formula at all. Um, And so I'm reading it one part of my brain, just yummy, yummy, delicious, I'm gobbling this up. But the other part, the writer in me, is trying to figure out what it is they do. And have you come to any insights? Because I need to know this. I haven't really because the yummy, yummy gobble it up part is in ascendance at the moment. But afterwards, I'm hoping that I, that I have a thing. I think, I think part of it is the two writer change of point of view thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, one can do that as a single writer as well, change your point of view. But it's very, they, they use a lot of the typical cliffhanger, um, hint at something happening and you don't know what it is. And there's a big, this one's got a big, you know, this group of women are up to something bad, but you're mm. not really sure at all what it is mm-hmm. and how everyone mm-hmm. else fits in. And you just, you keep reading in a hungry way. And again, because I started reading at the hairdresser, I'm reading on my phone. Uh-huh. And I, I am beginning to suspect that I read in a different way on my phone. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. Fiona, what are you reading and what are you reading it on? Okay, well, for for once I'm being quite uh, highbrow in my reading habits. I'm reading Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. I resisted it for Mm. months, but, you know, eventually they wore me down and I'm reading it. And I was so surprised to discover that it's actually funny, that it is told in a humorous and amusing way. And there is this very likable first-person protagonist that you are rooting for. And he speaks in what I imagine is the the idiom of rural Appalachia where it's set. And it's very entertaining. It's almost like the idiom of the, the Irish writers where just the way they speak and the way they write is amusing. So that is really making the rather painful subject matter go down in an, an entertaining way. So it, it's also a masterclass in writing. It's it's a way of conveying some serious subject matter in a very rollicking, entertaining kind of fashion. I definitely recommend that. It's the first time that I haven't immediately bought and read one of her books, and it is because I am so scared of what everyone says is the very serious subject matter. Mm. And in fact, people have said when I talk about I can't read serious at the moment, I can't be traumatized, and friends have said then don't read it. Right. So I'm interested... Once you've finished, you will give me an instruction on whether to read it or not. (laughs) I suspect it's going to be a a yes from me. Our guest today really does not need a seriousness warning. He is a well-known humorist. He's very entertaining, and I can't wait to get into conversation with him. Our guest today is Ndumiso Ngobo. 
He is the author of Some of My Best Friends Are White from 2007, Is It Cause I'm Black from 2008, Eat, Drink and Blame the Ancestors from 2014. He is a Sunday Times lifestyle columnist, very, a very popular commentator on social media. Dumiso, thank you for your time and welcome. It is my pleasure to, to be here. Um, yeah, well, thank you for having me. Dumiso, you told us that you actually listened to the podcast, so you're all ready for the first question we're going to ask you, which is how has your writing week been? Uh, I'm not used to, to describing what my writing week um, has been, purely because uh, Gail and I, um, you know, just before we started the podcast, we we're, were talking about memories. Mm. Um, I've got a horrible short-term memory. Ask me something that happened uh, on the 17th of February, 1987, and I, I can tell you very clearly uh, what it was like. So this week, um, <laughs> the, the writing week actually comes um, at a very interesting time for me because I'm writing so many things at the same time, which is true to my nature. Um, and I hope it doesn't come out as strongly in the podcast, but that's a sign of how I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can only be interested in anything for sort of 20 seconds and then I need to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my writing, um, has, has, has borne that out. Right now, it depends who asks me for what reason and when, but, you know, it is somewhere between 80 and 90% uh, of the way through my very first for into 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 fiction, so my manuscript. Oh wow, this is exciting! So news. if you if you had asked me, say in November, I would have said it was at ninety seven percent there because mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. feeling very good about it. It was done, but that's how my brain works. Um, and so my writing week has been um, very typical, uh, exactly how uh, all my writing weeks have been all over the place. Um, a lot of impatience. Uh, with with myself uh, as I struggle with with a character writing creative nonfiction, I just thought in my head, ah, it's just the most natural thing that you know. I think that I write creatively, I write very anecdotally, and I thought ah, writing a novel is going to be a breeze. No, it's not. <laughs> so that's been, that's been my, my writing. How far mm. along are you with that project? Um, like I said, it depends. You know, <laughs> when I started telling you, uh, you know, what three, four minutes ago, I said to you, what between eighty and ninety percent, mm-hmm. it might change by the time we finish this conversation. Uh, you know, as we go, and that's possi- possibly part of why it has taken me. As long as it has, because it's not all I'm doing. Uh, I think know, I'm going to have to come back and interrogate this a little bit more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm interested to know, mm. are you, do you have a publisher waiting for the book? Are you writing no. to deadline or is this something that it's a passion project that you're writing off your own bat? The only time I ever wrote to a deadline, I felt, and this was my second book, which was not in 2008, 2009. And I remember this very clearly because of the type of 2009 I had. The only time I ever wrote to, to deadlines, I did not enjoy it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I do not, I do not like it. Uh, which is very interesting for someone who has been writing a weekly column. I was for, just wondering for about that. Years. Um, so that's, that's 50 columns, um, times, times 14 mm-hmm. come September, you know? And so that tells you everything you need to know about my 
my week and how mm. because I I do not enjoy deadlines. I do not um I do not I do not like what it it does to me. I do not like what it does to to people around me. Um when I know Wednesday is coming up, my Sunday times column is is is, is coming up, which is why when you guys ask me, uh, could you possibly do this on on the Wednesday because today is a Thursday, I said Hell no, you know, no, it was pre and post. Um, so yeah, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm writing it, uh, until I'm happy, um, with the manuscript. So yeah, no, no deadline whatsoever. Okay. Mm. Um, you have written on social media about how you made the jump from the corporate world into a more creative space, uh, working as a radio presenter, working as a columnist, a writer, um, was it a pull or a push or was it both a push and a pull? What happened and, there? And can I jump in there and yeah. read a quote from an article I found, which I loved, which says that you, you, uh, uh, oh, I've lost it. Once upon a time, you used to be an intelligent, relevant man with a respectable read, boring as crap job, which funded <laughs> his extensive beer habit. One day he woke up and discovered that he had lost his mind, quit his well-paying job, penned a collection of hallucinations. <laughs> and it goes on. Um, and yeah. I think that that sounds like the origin story there. Yeah, it is. You know, the, the, the question, no one's ever asked me that question in, 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 in that manner. Uh, but I would say it was neither. So, um, I do not remember a time that I wasn't reading and writing. And when I say that, I actually mean it literally, mm-hmm. as in some of my very first memories. And I, um, I don't know whether I'm blessed or cursed, uh, you know, speaking of memory, uh, I remember as things as far back as when I was two, which my mom always says, but you would have been two when that was happening. And so those memories, do not um include a time when I wasn't reading anything or writing anything. Uh and so I've always written. And so almost the first thirty-five years of my life, because I was I got published for the first time when I was thirty-five and I'd written nothing. I've never studied writing, I've never studied journalism, I had never done anything that should have been prep for me to be writing anything. But that 35 years is 35 years of reading literally hundreds, if not thousands of books and forever writing. And so was I, am I writing um, because I'm going somewhere with it? Probably not. Um, it's probably just a compulsion. I write because I write. That's what mm-hmm. I do. That's who I am. It does not matter. I could decide tomorrow to never have anything published. I'm still a writer. Um, mm. That's what mm. I do. Mm. So I, it's, it, there isn't a very, there isn't absolute clarity in my mind about whether something was luring me and, 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 uh, and, 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 and saying to me, come, or was there a push that I felt, you know, that the compulsion. I come from a family of uh, a lot of writers, published writers uh, that, that matter um, as well. So, it just was always natural that I felt that I should be writing. I did not feel that there was like a huge dramatic jump from what I was doing before and now, and now I'm writing because I'd always in my mind been in that space. And what were um, you doing before? What were the first 35 years spent on? Oh, good Lord. The last thing I did um, for money before I wrote, I was <laughs> an R&D uh, manager for a 
fats and oil specialist company called Hudson and Knight, which used to be a subsidiary of Unilever, which is Unilever, which is interestingly where I started with Unilever. And so, um, I had joined Unilever, uh, about six, seven years prior, uh, in the technical fields, um, because I, I studied, uh, food science, microbiology okay. and biochemistry. And so that's what I had been doing for the previous seven years. And before that, I had done my second leg of studying because the first time I started at university, I felt so miserably. Uh, they actually kicked me out of university. Uh, and one of the things that I did along the way is uh, I life spewed me out as a high school mathematics and uh, science teacher for about four and a half and five years. So that's in a, in a nutshell what I had been doing uh that is For completely money. unexpected. Maths and science <laughs> teacher, R&D manager. I'm, is it I'm, though? I really, I'm stunned by this. I'm, I'm going to have to sit back and take a deep breath and re- reset my head. Fiona, you can have the mic. <laughs> yeah. um, how did you get your column? And if somebody were trying to pursue that career today, what yeah. what would you say to a youngster who's looking up to you and wanting to emulate that career path? You know, one of the things I always say when young people, well, sometimes not so young people, say to me, you know, I'm an aspiring economist or I'm an aspiring writer or I'm aspiring. I always say, well, you know, because part of what I do, part of what I, I write, my headspace is, is I, I am obsessed with just life's absurdities and just things that we take for granted. So for instance, when someone says I'm an aspiring writer, I always say, well, you know, Try and imagine that you are approaching Usain Bolt and you're saying to Usain Bolt, um, you know, I'm an aspiring sprinter. So how, <laughs> how absurd, how it's preposterous. I mean, you can't be an aspiring writer. You either are or you're not. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the, your question is actually quite specific about, about the column. One of the things, um, I thought because I was just so, in love with my own thoughts, uh, and thinking that I'm just the most brilliant thing. I'm so unique. Do you know what I mean? That, uh, you know, I say in the introduction, this is what I write in the introduction to my first book. Uh, some of my best friends are white. And I said, and I remember I used to fantasize about my ideal job would be for me to just sit in a room and just have people come through the room and just ask me my opinions about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I think, and, and in my head, I just thought a column is, is such a beautiful vehicle to do that, you know, to get paid for people to just, um, read what you have to say because your thoughts are so fascinating, right? Uh, and so that was that. But I would say to someone who, who said they wanted to do this, the obvious things is, I mean, if you haven't read uh, a thousand books, at least, you know, this, you have no hope in hell of, of actually being a decent writer, right? So that's, that's the one thing. And I'm assuming that this person would have done that work. But to be a, a columnist, I mean, you know, the question that you're asking me is, how did I, 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 I very carefully and very deliberately um, put myself out there, uh, through blogs as someone who could churn out piece after piece of whether it was rubbish, cause a lot of it is, mm. uh, you know, writing about my socks and my dogs and, 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 and how my cats lick my feet or whatever the case may be. Um, but that's what a column is, right? It's just your own thoughts and your mm. own little space. Um, 
is to write and write often, uh, illustrate that you can, because I did not have to go looking for a column in the Sunday Times. The Sunday Times came to me and said, would you like to write for us purely because I had been doing it uh, for a couple of years, so for two years from 2007 and 2009 when I started uh, the column. So when you say there's no such thing as an aspiring writer, mm. you would say that a, a person who is going to be a writer is writing already and they're aspiring to be successful. Yeah. So, so you can't come and say, you know, I want to start writing. It's it's something yeah. you're either doing or you're not. Th- that conversation, if, I, if, if someone comes to me and says to me, well, how do I start writing? I cannot be helpful because I have never experienced it. Because mm-hmm. I've just always been writing, mm-hmm. so I'd be talking. I'd, I'd be giving you BS um, because I I do not know how do you. I mean, I'd say okay, read, read, read. If you've if you've mm-hmm. been reading, chances are you know. Because how I knew that I I thought I could have something published is is I'd just be writing an email um, because I'd conducted a factory trial. Margarine factory trial of all things, and I thought it had gone really well. But then I'd be writing this report, but my little captions that I was writing, everyone used to say, "You use such flowery language to explain <laughs> how you converted fats and oils into margarine." And everyone's like, "You, you know how everyone now on social media is like, you write so well. You really should consider writing." That was happening with me outside of social media. Is mm. is everyone? And of course, when people were saying it, I knew it. And so I started writing these little pieces just for, for me, uh, for my own titillation and so on and sharing it with friends. And before I knew it, and I started thinking, well, if I compiled these things, cause I knew what was out there. And I said, you know, some of my friends would say, well, this is better than a lot of the books we're reading. So why don't you just have this published? And that's how it happened. And so I wasn't, there wasn't a moment, there wasn't Eureka, there wasn't an epiphany that I should happen. It was just a gradual thing. And I can only tell you how it happened with me mm. purely because, well, number one, I just don't like being prescriptive, but also because I do not have very clear ideas about how other people could do mm. that. And I'm just hoping that me just describing how I did it, mm. Um, would be one way of doing it. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to answer this, but yeah. can you tell us what has to happen in one's brain that you, you must walk through life looking for the anecdote in the small life experiences? Does it take a particular, do you, do you have to kind of adjust your head and go, head, remember to be looking out for the anecdote, to be looking for the story, or does it happen naturally for you? <sighs> Jeez, I just feel like I'm not being particularly useful. I do not know if I'm a good uh, person to go by because, again, for me, it happens just naturally. My brain is just a sponge. When I walk into situations, because people are forever saying it, and, and and and, and how they say it sometimes is almost a case of, but you couldn't possibly have lived long enough for you to have witnessed so many things. And I say, and I'd say to someone, well, the thing about it is maybe um when you and I walk into the same space, you don't observe nearly as many uh, little idiosyncrasies about people and, and, and little things. So, for instance, the young man who's busy helping us with the podcast here today, he came in here and purely because of how my brain works, 
I'm very curious about him. And I'm thinking, whoa, you know, who's this guy? I could literally live here, get into my car and write a story about him. And our interaction has really been what non-existent. He just came in here, he did a sound check. And so your brain, I do not know how well anyone's brain could be trained or socialized in into thinking in, in, in that particular way. You know, for instance, I enjoy stupid things like sitting and writing at the airport. So I'm one of those people who get to the airport two and a half hours before I, I need to actually be there just so I can watch people. Mm. I'm like, Fiona, where, where is she going, you know? I am uh, beginning to think that this is a common writer thing. Mm. Fiona, I want us to do some research into this. Mm. Writers love airports because there are stories in airports. I love yeah. aeroplanes. I love being yeah. on an aeroplane where there's no possibility of checking my social media. And people are, people are looking at me. They're seeing when my laptop's yeah. on my lap, they can see, am I actually typing or am I staring at my screen like this? <laughs> and that, that feeling of so you, just you, keep typing, just keep typing. I'm extraordinarily yeah. productive. But so you use it as a pro- productivity tool, whereas yes. I use it as an idea generator. I think mm. I, I'm very interested in the stories that play out in airports. Mm. Um, and it sounds like you do too. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very fascinated about where people are going. Mm where they're coming from, who they are, why they're speaking to this person. and not How that they person. greet each other. How they greet each other. You know, I mean, I, I have given birth to so many children in the airport. <laughs> and, I've, and I've similarly, you know, killed so many people. I mean, I've seen people, you know, go into that plane and only because they just want to go and die in Australia. Because you know, that's how my brain works, you know. Yeah, but yeah. So let me ask you another impossible question. If someone came to you and said, Ndumiso, how can I be funny? How do you be funny? What, what is it? The secret of humor. I know it's impossible to answer, but, but everyone who is a successful humorist has some interesting take on it. The, the essence of humor. The essence of humor is that, you know, and I think, good Lord, um, you know, You know, people have written so much about, 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 about humor. Um, and all I can say about humor is this. There are obviously techniques, you know, that, 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 that someone could be taught, uh, on how to be funny. You know, anyone, I mean, anyone can have, uh, can go to a class and take a class about, uh, the techniques. So for instance, stupid things like, um, your face, if you're going to be doing stand-up comedy, but if you're writing, uh, if you're writing humor, it's about the words that you use. Uh, it's a very technical thing, uh, where instead of saying, for instance, if I say, you know, you know, he, he, he shouted, it's, it's, it's never as funny as, as when someone say he yelled. Yelling just seems to be funnier than saying someone shouted. So stupid little things like that. But when it comes to, to humor, humor is, again, it just lends itself to observation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's about observation. It's about looking at people, but then looking at people, um, with empathy, empathetically. Uh, which is why I always say about humor, I find it very difficult to, to make fun of someone that I genuinely dislike. Right. Because as a general rule, and this now speaks to 
the culture now, you know, wokeism and, and humor. And the thing about humor is it does not really matter how much you try and um, spin it. Humor is mean. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Humor is mean, mm-hmm. and it's so even even the humor that we all go, ah, oh, but that's like innocuous humor, or you know, it's always about someone tripping and falling, someone someone got hurt, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that's humor is is is, is obviously our, uh, <laughs> it's 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 our human uh, coping mechanism for things that quite honestly we either find uncomfortable. Uh, things happening that shouldn't be happening. Mm. That's what humor really mm. is. And so the question about how does one become, how does one become funny, uh, is, and, and, and here's the thing. When I started writing, I didn't know that I was writing humor. Did you know that you were funny? I did not know that I was funny. I was just writing because, uh, and it was just me really observing things and, I suppose putting them in su- in in such at such basic at such a basic level that your your only reaction to it can only be to laugh at it because it's either I'm stupid as as, as the writer but you kind of figure out no this guy is actually not you know he's, he's he's not being stupid in which case then what he's doing is is what I suppose. Um, people call satire and, and, and parody is you are just being, you're just taking what's already absurd and you're making it even more absurd. Uh, and, and, and so when I was writing, I was already, and then people would say, oh, but that was hilarious. And I'd say, well, that was. <laughs> and I said, okay, so how did I get to, to write that way? And I just realized that part of it is my scientific brain going is, is I like to take things and just, Tear them into it, into their most basic blocks. So the most fundamental. Once you take things and you're not speaking um, about them at a superficial level, and you actually look at what it actually means, what people did, I think people will find it fun. So basically, humor is breaking mm. the margarine down into its fats and oils. Into its fats and oils. <laughs> <laughs> And that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you touched on workism and I want to know about this writing humor for so many years. The world has changed a lot and we are a lot more careful and we're all trying very hard to be woke, but not in an irritating way. How are you navigating this? The short answer to that question is with great difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's actually quite fascinating that, that we are where we are because long before, you know, anyone on social media started using the words woke and wokeism and, um, I was one of those people, uh, who back in the days, I'm now, sometimes I read things I wrote, say, I don't know, like 13, 14 years ago. And I would say things like, as I wrote it, I'd be very aware that what I've said here now is a bit risque. It's a bit, um, and, and, and then I'd have to qualify it with, with, yeah, your eyes are not deceiving you. I actually really just said that. I'm just making mm-hmm. you aware that I'm aware mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of what I've just, I've just done here. And, and here's the thing about 
about where we find ourselves is that people find it very difficult and, 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 and people are very quick to say it's about 140 characters, you know, Twitter and everyone just wanting to see just tidbits, no one wanting to actually seriously engage with, with people is, is that people see red, red flags. Mm. So for instance, humor, um, people tell you there are things you can, you can never joke about, mm. um, which of course is, is all, Stimming pile of rubbish, right? Um, you can joke about anything that you want to joke about. Now, seriously, you know, throw anything at me. You can joke about violence. You can joke about death. You can joke about, um, about GBV. You can, there are, but the, the point is, the only question is, um, what, what is the joke? Are you making fun? Of the situation, or are you making fun? Are you are you pointing out that there's a discomfort with this particular subject, and that uh, there's a particular subtext uh, to it? Because everything is contextual, mm-hmm. right? And so people, as soon as you go in a particular direction, they just clamp up, like, "Oh, mm-hmm. you cannot, you, you cannot possibly joke about." Mm-hmm. Disability, and I remember uh, having a conversation with someone who actually uh, is a paraplegic, and they were saying, and I, I think I've written about this, and, and they were saying, "So, but why, why can't you joke about paraplegics?" And I said, "Well, as someone who's not paraplegic, I just feel like it's uncomfortable." And he says, "Yeah, yeah, I get that." And then, and then he illustrates it uh, with a little joke of his own. He says, uh, "Oh, yeah, no, the other day, you know, I was." Um, in the parking lot at, and he's from Durban at Gateway. And I saw, uh, a guy who's a paraplegic park in a normal parking bay. And, and he says, Oh, and then I rolled up to him and he actually <laughs> makes it. He says, I rolled up to him and I said, what are you doing? You know, um, because we've all got to keep our side of the bargain. And there's your parking. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure that you laugh, but here's the thing is the joke is, is about, Disability. Is it funny? Well, I thought it was because I, you know, I'd re- I'm I, I find it funny. I'm laughing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you write humor now, you know, I, I do not know about you, Gail. I do not know about you, you know, but so when I, when, when you, when you write nowadays, you cannot help but go back and read it and go, okay, uh, who's going to read this? And, and what are they going to make out of that? And so you can't help but get into a self-censorship uh, space, mm-hmm. especially because I'm writing for the lifestyle, mm-hmm. uh, Sunday Times, mm-hmm. there's, you know, advertisers. And so I cannot be uh, just go out there and write. And especially because I'm writing every week, which means that the opportunity for things to go through the cracks because one of the ways I could do it is just to write and say, well, I'm not going to edit myself and, and let them worry about it. But then there's always a possibility that things will go through the cracks. Yeah. And you will be the one who has to face yeah, it, not cause, your cause editor. Because my, my name is going to be on it, yeah. I've heard it said that with humor, you can punch up or you can punch sideways, but you can never punch down. You can never make fun of the more marginalized or the more vulnerable is that a rule? Can that be a rule or can that rule no. also be broken? No, no, no. It's a rule that can be broken. It's a very good rule. Uh, it's a sensible rule. It makes sense. You'd have to be pretty 
you know, stupid to not realize that making fun of the less fortunate, uh, it does. But, uh, again, uh, like every other rule, there are exceptions to the rule. And the thing about humor is this, the, the, <laughs> it's going to sound absurd, uh, when I say it the way that I do. The only trick about humor is just make sure that you're funny. It's got to be funny. If it's not funny, people will forgive mm. anything. If it's really funny, people will forgive it, right? Mm. So mm. even when it to- you talk about, I, I, I make fun. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the power differential between me and my children is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I poke a whole, I mean, I say a whole bunch of things. Uh, about about my children, I, I I make fun of them. Uh, I make fun of people that I grew up with, uh, where I, I grew up. I mean, people who did not go past, uh, you know, grade five in school. You know, people who are living on the proverbial dollar a day, uh, you know, of the UN. I can still make fun of them. I can make fun of my grandmother who was a. Um, who was a, a, a domestic worker back in the 1930s, uh, 1940s, and so on. I can. I absolutely can. Uh, as a rule, yeah, it makes sense. And I think that the rule is actually meant to, just as a caution to you, just be mindful mm. uh, of just, you know, punching downwards. Uh, because, I mean, it's almost a case of, so for instance, I mean, I've heard people say absurd things like, uh, like white comedians cannot make fun of just the general black condition. Of course they can. I mean, you know, some of my favorite comedians are people like Bill Burr. Bill Burr just doesn't care. I mean, if he goes in and there's a 90% uh, black audience, he's going to let rip. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think that you, it's a fast rule. I don't think so. Do you think your books would be any different if you'd bought them out now? Do you they think? absolutely would be. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they absolutely, you know, would be. Um, because, uh, I would have obviously had very different, uh, experiences. Uh, but also, um, I mean, if you, if you read, if, if you read my books, uh, and when you were just, uh, saying the years now, I'm like, good Lord. That was 16 years ago. Uh, cause it doesn't feel that way. Um, but, um, the things would be different. In fact, a a, a similarly interesting question would be if I had an opportunity of taking this book now and I was the editor slash writer, you know, how different would it be? Uh, and, and, and I think that it, 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 it would be different. Uh, the essence of it would be the same, but it, it would be different. Uh, it would probably be about 80% of it. Um, and when it comes to that process of collecting your existing writings into mm-hmm. a book, do you do any rewriting um, of, of the existing material? Do you purpose write stuff for the book or, or do you just collect it together and, and submit it? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very great believer in, 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 in writing that is as raw as, 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 as possible. I hope it, it, it comes out in my writing in the sense that I'd say 90% of things that I write, uh, that people have read are, are first drafts. <laughs> because I, 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 I just, I, I like, I like it messy. I, 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 I do not, um, I, 
sometimes I, I, I read some things that I've written and, and I, and, and they seem a bit sanitary mm-hmm. because there's just been too much tinkering uh, with it. Now that word, uh, let's, let's move it. Let's not, maybe not uh, write it that way. But in terms of, of, of the ideas, my ideas are, are in a constant state of flux. Um, I am one of my friends, uh, my radio friends, Hong Zomatsunyane, likes to say that I'm the most disloyal human being mm-hmm. she knows. Uh, and sometimes it extends to uh, loyalty to ideas. Um, as soon as I believe that I have been presented with a superior logic, superior rationale, um, yeah, I mean, this is why I'd probably be horrible at politics because people would call me a flip-flopper all the time. Because this new information changes my mind all the time. Mm. And so that's, you know, even in my, in, in, in the writing. That's so interesting because I've recently come to believe that the ability to change one's mind is one of the biggest signs of intelligence. Mm. That it's stupid people who hold on to an opinion in the face of all evidence to the contrary. And that actually the ability to change your mind is indicative of an ability to take on new information. I think um I I think I I could quote quote the line directly from <laughs> some of my best friends are white where I think I say I I I wrote something to the effect and uh apologies to the author <laughs> <laughs> I think I I said um the inability to allow the ingress of new information to change one's mind renders one uh a an impregnable fortress of stupidity. Love it. Um, so I, 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 I do believe that. And it would be very interesting um, if I changed my mind about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm changing my mind. You should not be allowed to change your mind. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I, mean, I mean, I think I, 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 you know, we obviously have a limited time to, to actually you know, talk about the idea. But no, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think um, a lot of the things... Um, I mean, I wouldn't say a lot, but some things, you know, uh, would change. Some of them even fundamental. Um, but yeah. I want to talk to you about writer's block, <laughs> which is a thing that I didn't used to believe in. I didn't think it was real. I think that if, if somebody needed to write, they would write. They would produce the words. And then in the second year of COVID, so it had been going on for a while, um, it was the year my mom passed away, and that year, 2021, I hardly wrote. I hardly wrote anything new. I was sort of refining existing stuff, and only in retrospect did I realize I had writer's block. I was dealing with something, and, and it was just a fallow period for me. But now you have this very long-running column where you have to meet that deadline. Yeah. Do you not believe in writer's block? Have you ever experienced it? Um, you know, anyone uh, who has ever written a weekly column uh, for longer than sort of five years and they do not believe that there is such a thing as writer's block. Whew, yeah. <laughs> I'd love, I'd, I'd love to meet them here. Um, look, you know, it depends what your definition of writer's block is, right? Um, I remember, you know, one of my favorite uh, editors for Lifestyle 
was some and I think it's it has to do with I suppose more or less the same age we think pretty much the same way Carlos Amato yes um and the one time I said to him and I think he'd been editor for for about three years at the time I said Carlos I don't understand this like I've been writing this thing and you've been editing it you know because at least you know we could meet and have a beer now and then I said, so I said and watch Arsenal lose yet again <laughs> and I said I said I said Carlos just never give me feedback feedback about you know how am I doing um but he looks at me and he says you know to me so if you write a weekly column and you write a one good column a month um and and you write like one maybe so-so and two a bit pretty substandard. He says, you're doing well, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, the reason that you don't get that feedback is because you get it right at least three times out of four, um, which means that when you don't get it right, I don't care about it and so on. I said, but pattern-wise, like, have, 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 have there been periods? And he says, yeah, no, no, there have been times where I, I could tell that if I had been writing your columns and I've been saying the average is there about 7.58 and so on, there would be a dip, a dip somewhere inside uh, 6.5. But then you kind of self-correct. And so why would you worry about that sort of thing? And so to answer your question is, I would imagine that what he was perceiving as sort of 6.5 would have been a period where I wasn't writing optimally for whatever reason, because... I've got things happening. I've got school fees. I've got this to do, to pay and whatnot. Um, but it's not something that I think of. I've never been consciously going through writer's block. Mm-hmm. I've never sat down and, and, and wanted to write. And I felt like, you know, that happens. It's just part of what happens, you know, from month to month where, uh, week one, I'm, I'm absolutely at my best, but week three on that day, I'm just like, I thought deadline. What? What is this nonsense? You know, what, what am I supposed to be writing here? Yeah, whatever. Um, but but never anything where I thought to myself, Good Lord, you know, uh, I've got um, writer's block. So yeah, no, I I, I haven't. Uh, not not as in. Not as in consciously thinking, but obviously it, it must have uh, at an empirical level. I want to talk about this very exciting move towards fiction. And I have mm-hmm. lots of questions about this. And yeah. the first one, is this something that you've always wanted to do? Has that has there been a bug at the back of your head going, let's write some fiction, let me make something up? Okay. What's interesting is that all my writing before I got published mm. – was fiction. <laughs> ah. So, you know, if I go back to things that I was writing um, when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s, when I was teaching, when I was at Unilever, um, I was always just obsessed with this one question. And, and that question is, I'd look at anything happening and I'd go, well, that's interesting. But what if? Mm, but what exactly. if? Mm. Yeah, but, but what? But what if? And I'd be far more interested in the what if than the actual story itself. Um, and so I, I, I've, I've, 
I've 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 been in love with with fiction um purely because you know I would imagine I mean if I've if I've read 10,000 books you know I would imagine that 9,000 all of them would have been fiction um because that's that's pretty much all I uh, I like I, I really enjoy reading um so no for me it it doesn't feel like I am doing any kind of step change mm. it is just that the process itself would now you are because you understand how you 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 write a, a novel and how you develop characters and and all your mini arcs and your major one and sometimes and so that that's that's where the uh, the challenges are mm. with, with with writing a book but writing coming up with with stories that, that's the easy bit mm. Mm. and are you enjoying it is the writing what is the writing feeling like for you Sometimes I am driven to the depths of despair and I want to slit my wrists. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's a sense of absolute elation when you feel like, oh my God, I, I'm so good. I'm so good. This is a brilliant story. I think <laughs> it's what you think. Um, but it's, 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 um, yeah, but it does feel like a, a, a bit of your, of your own physical flesh, so he's also mm-hmm. being torn. It, it, it's, it's, it's leaving because it's, it's leaving you because it's this thing, it's this story. Because uh, it's my first foreign to fiction, and uh, and therefore, I there's a, a fair amount of biographical material mm-hmm. that's in there uh, because it's just a story that again it started from a real story, and I. Started asking uh, the one thousand what ifs, what ifs. Yeah. And my last question for now, Fiona, I will let you speak again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't panic. <laughs> Can we expect your trademark humor in your fiction? Can you tell I'm very excited about this? I really want <laughs> yeah. you to go home, finish it, and have it published by next month, please. I, I, I have no. I'll, I'll tell you this much. Um, you know, like I always try and tell myself, and I don't always succeed, even when I write a column. You know, that's got humor, uh, as a descriptor is don't try to be funny. Mm-hmm. That's where the funny, uh, you know, comes from. So I'm, I'm forever, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say to myself, don't try to go out of your way to be funny. Um, just write, write the story, tell the story how you tell it. Um, and if, if people pick up on the, on, on, on the humor, well, well, then great, but uh, that for me is mm. not is not the prize. Um, but I imagine, actually, I'm, I'm, I've already thought of three, four things <laughs> in the book that are actually pretty, pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the biographical details that are going to come mm. out in the fiction. Mm. Um, in your column, you mine your personal life, your family life, your friends, your colleagues for inspiration and for humor. Mm. Um, have you had pushback from your wife, your kids, your family, anybody who has said, stop writing about me, that's enough now? Like a child who's saying, stop mm. putting my face on Facebook, mm. I'm, I'm saying no to <laughs> it now. Um, and at least that's not something one has to worry about in fiction. Has that happened? You know, um, with, uh, the thing about that is, 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 uh, yeah. What I said earlier about 
I try very hard not to satirize anyone that I do not like. And therefore, when I write about people, even when particularly my mother, oh my goodness, my mother, <laughs> and she, and she reads me religiously. Yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, if I do not have any empathy with you, if I, if I don't like you a little bit, um, if, if I don't get you in any way, I, I don't write because I try very hard. Humor is in its very nature. Like I said, we're laughing at things that mostly are mean. And there's no need to now then be mean while we are. While you're being mean. While we're in the mean space, you know. Mm, mm. Uh, and, and so, um, m- people just are very self-aware sometimes. Uh, even, even when I'm not actually intending to write about them, people go, Hey, and then there's Ndomiso here. Uh, just don't write about this, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, 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 and so on. But any pushback, uh, where I've had someone seriously come to me and said, I did not appreciate you writing about me. Um, no, I have actually never had that. I mean, and that includes like a column that I wrote where I said, some people and some events are just in excess of what I need to know. Will someone explain to me why I even know who Kanyimbao is? And I went on and on. And one of the people uh, that I wrote about, I am at the Three Talk Studios being interviewed by Nolin Maulona Sang a couple of years ago. And he happens to be the next guest. And now Nolin comes and says, Oh, have you guys met each other? And, and, horror of horrors, like the previous Sunday, I'd actually said he's just in excess of things I need to why do I <laughs> even know okay. he exists um, and uh, he looks at me, he says, oh yeah no, I do exist uh, <laughs> our current MMC is MMC of some, uh, the Sushi King yeah, can you go in there, yeah, you know because uh, I thought that would have that could possibly, you know, that could have but he also just thought, ah, you know took it in quite uh, a good no, spirit took it, took it another, he took it another, yeah and maybe there is something quite flattering about being mm. the subject of somebody else's thoughts. Cause I mm. think we all scared nobody's thinking about us at all. So yeah. maybe it's nice to know someone's thinking about you. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> because I mean, also in my radio career, I've, I mean, I've had to interview, uh, former president Jacob Zuma, who, uh, I mean, I've, I've, ripped him apart a couple of times, you know. Mm. But he also just you know, took it in his stride. Uh because I remember he sat down and he looked at my head and he said, uh, you know, for someone who has had so many things to say about my head and the two seats of power, uh, you you've got a strange shaped head yourself. <laughs> I mean it was awkward only for like two, three seconds, but then we moved on, you know, we moved on with our lives, you know. And even the children, I'm fascinated about that. My children recently came Mm. across a blog I wrote. My daughter was confusingly researching me during school and came across my blog um, and came home and said, I'd written something about lying to them about the tooth fairy. Yeah. And she presented me with the evidence and went, what's this? Yeah. So have you had no, no pushback? No, none whatsoever. You know, my, my, my kids, I don't, I don't think they, I remember a time that I wasn't uh, ribbing them about one thing or the other because I do it to their faces all the time. Mm-hmm. So there are very few things I write about them that I actually hadn't, I haven't said to them to to their face. But we have that kind of uh, relationship. How old uh, are they? Um, jeez, <laughs> eldest, eldest is twenty eight. Okay. 
uh, and then there's uh, and then there's eighteen, and then there's seventeen, and then there's fifteen. Okay, if it hasn't yeah. happened by now, then, nah, then it's not going to happen. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, no. When you write, I'm particularly thinking of your column. Do you have an audience in mind? Do you think, okay, this is the, these are the demographics of the Sunday Times readership. I have to appeal to everybody. There has to be something for everyone. Or do you just write and, and let it find its audience? Oh, but isn't this the, the beautiful gift that social media have, you know, has given us though, is that we have a very good sense of who we're talking to generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you kind of realize that when you write for the Sunday Times, you're speaking to more or less the same audience that you have when you're just writing about your daily things on, uh, on, on, on Facebook. Uh, the answer is, 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 is obviously yes. Uh, but the, if, if uh, the next, if the next question is, is, but do you do it consciously? Then no. Mm-hmm. I think that I am just, I have, I am so comfortable in that space that I don't, so it's not a, it's not a, a, a conscious com- competence in my, on my part to know who I'm talking to. I think that there is a, the, the competence is there to know who I'm talking to, but it's pretty subconscious. So I don't sit there and I go, ooh, with this, you know, with, with this appeal to, you know, because some, some things that I write, I realize that a Fiona who resides in, in a particular world would, would never get it. And I, and at, at the same time, I know that someone who, um, who lives out in, who lives in Tembisa or who lives in, in Soweto would absolutely get it. But what, what would surprise a lot of people is just how many commonalities you have mm-hmm. with, with, mm-hmm. with people, particularly people in the same demographic as you are, at least mm-hmm. economically. And has your readership changed as the the way newspapers are delivered to us has changed? Mm. Because I have to tell you, when we got the hard copy Sunday Times thrown over the gate once a week, I read you religiously. Yeah. Now that it's more of an online experience, mm. I don't. Yeah. Um. So has your readership changed due to those changes? I do not worry about readerships and 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 the and the stats around the Sunday Times readership. I consider that a, a newspaper issue. Than mine. <laughs> I, I, I do not let that affect, it, it has not affected me in any way. So, uh, the short answer is, I do not know. Okay. I, I do not worry about, I don't look at my figures, for instance. I don't, I, I don't religiously want to find out who's reading me, how many people are reading me. Has it, has it, has it dipped? I just write. And it hasn't uh, changed the face of your audience in your head. Clearly not. No, You're still no, writing for the same um, people. I'm still writing. For pretty much who I was, I was writing for. I'm, I'm just writing for that particular demographic that would get, uh, what, what I'm writing about. Okay. Well, I think we are now ready mm. for our wrap up question, okay. which is to ask you what you are reading or listening to or watching at the moment that's made an impression on you. Um, a book that I think, uh, is, is topical that I am, that I'm currently reading. Uh, it's in the car as we speak actually. Uh, is, uh, Winnie and Mandela. Oh, yes. Um, Johnny Stein. Johnny Steinberg. Uh, Johnny book, Steinberg. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's, it's a story that fascinates me. I'm reading it and I'm thinking, you know, 
Um, is this I, I, book I giving right. you new insights or, or yeah. it's confirming what you it's, thought? It's, it's confirming a lot of things that I, you know, sus- suspected, I, I, you know, including Mandela's love life um, before he got married, um, well, including during when he was married <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and so forth. Yeah, so it's a, it's a fascinating book, but I also am far more interested in the book just from just a historical perspective. I always find that reading these books, you 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 get a whole lot more uh, than just the story of the main protagonist. So I'm reading that. I'm also revisiting an old book because of a uh, of the new series, the TV series, uh, Shaga Ilembe, which I haven't watched. Right. Uh, which is about um, Shaga Hasenzangakona, the so-called founder of of, of the Zulu Kingdom. I saw um, on social media you said that you, you're going to wait for the hype to die down and yeah, then you'll watch it. I, and, and, and then I'll watch it because, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, get my history from, from TV series. Mm. I'd much rather read about it. So I'm also reading a book that I, it's kind of a Bible of mine, but I'm now sitting down and I'm reading it. It's a book written in the 18, late 1800s, olden times in Zululand and Natal by, uh, a Catholic priest, Alfred Bryant, and it just it talks about in in part that history, the history that is covered in in the book Hilemba. Because I, the interest, the sudden interest in that story has just uh, popped into my head. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I look forward to you actually watching the series and giving us your thoughts on it because I think they'll be very insightful. Mm. Mm. And I look forward to this fiction book coming out. I'm going to now be watching every announcement of every new book list. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um so now you're going to be you know you're talking about who you who who you write for. I'm not going to be writing for you. But when, <laughs> oh. but but when but when the book comes out, yeah, I'll be very interested in what you think of it. Very excited. <laughs> thank you yeah. so much for your time, Demiso. Thank you. We really me. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Gail, there are people who are funny on the page and people who are funny in person and they don't always overlap. But I have to say, Ndumiso was one of those people who, he, he's just hilarious whichever way you take him. A hundred percent fantasy dinner party. He is on the list. He is just wonderful in person. I think that's what we're doing here. We're having our fantasy dinner party and inviting all our dream guests it's to come so and talk to us. It's so funny you say that because in the middle of that interview with Ndumiso, I suddenly was struck by the enormous privilege mm. of what we are doing here, that we we get to talk to these amazing, fascinating people and they come and and speak to us and we get to choose who we want to speak to and it's really it's an extraordinary experience we're having Fiona and we can ask them anything we like and they have to answer us <laughs> it's so incredible it's much better than a dinner party where you have to have an exchange of conversation <laughs> we can just drill them <laughs> so Gail what did you get from Indomiso today I got so much that I can't talk about it all, but I was very struck by what he said about humor is mean. Mm. And it, it struck a chord with me because I think it's so true that there is a streak of nastiness when we notice something funny. And the reason it resonated so much is because I really, the people I'm drawn to are people who make me laugh. Mm-hmm. And I've often said 
I like people with a little bit of nastiness in them. Mm-hmm. I don't like a hundred percent nice people. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like mm-hmm. someone who's always only saying the best of everyone and never making a snarky comment about anything. I like my people to have a little drop of nasty in them. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel better about it now because Ndumiso put it in context. The nasty is what's making them funny and the funny is what I like. I, I hear that. I really do. And um, what I further to that got out of it was don't try to be mm. funny when he said that. And one of the funniest things he said was the idea that you can take a class in being funny, that you can go and learn how to move your face in a funny way mm. if you're going to be a stand-up comedian or how to construct humor. Now, just the idea of that is funny. It's because it's ridiculous and it's unexpected to take a class in being mm. funny. Mm. I, I can't imagine that there's much you would get out of that that would be useful in any way. And the idea of being deliberate in self-consciousness and and being a try-hard when it comes mm-hmm. to being funny mm is funny in itself and is already unsuccessful. One one can't imagine that that trying hard can result in anything that's actually funny. Absolutely. I think when you read, you can often tell when the writer is trying hard to be funny and nothing kills the humor as quickly as that. I do know that on the page, I'm only funny when it comes naturally. Okay. Uh, I cannot set up. Kate is wonderful in our joint writing. She can set up a joke and she can do it for pages. Mm. I can't be deliberately funny. It has to be observational humor for me to be funny. So yeah, it, it, it's challenging. But humor in writing is challenging, but Demisa has given us the masterclass now. He really has. Fiona, what do you have to teach us this week? Well, I think it it relates to what you've just said and to what Indomiso was saying about sitting at airports. And it's the power of observation, Mm. the power of the writer's eye that is seeing things that other people will miss. Mm. And that is a skill that can be honed. You, Mm. some people do it naturally, as he said, but you can sit down and watch people and allow your brain to speculate about a situation and to be stimulated by what it's seeing. What is the person wearing? How are they? conducting themselves? How are they greeting that person that they're meeting at the airport? What's going on there? Is there tension? Are they relaxed? Is it a couple who've sort of thoroughly sick of each Mm. other and have been fighting about what time to get to the airport and now they're completely pissed off with each other? Mm. You know, just look at what the situation is with that writer's eye and you will find something to mine there in your fiction. With a little warning that it can be dangerous because one of the things I do, I don't know if I've spoken about this before, I make up stories about people mm-hmm. and then I lose track of whether I've made the story up or it's a true story <laughs> about them. And then I can't say anything to anyone because I don't know if what I'm thinking is true or something I made up completely. And in terms of your writing advice for the week? So I've been listening to a writing podcast where Ellie Griffiths has been speaking. And the first interesting thing, those who know Ellie Griffiths writing, Mm. she writes a wonderful archaeologically based murder series about a character called Ruth Galloway. Mm -hmm. Her name is not Ellie Griffiths. That is her writing name. Oh, my goodness. Her real name is much more of a writing name. Her real name is something like Domenica DeRosa. 
Wow. And she wrote books under that name, but then when she went into writing crime, she needed a new name. And I, I love the way her, her pseudonym is so much more boring than her real name. <laughs> but that's not what I want to say. What I want to say is she spoke about how when she started writing this, the crime series, mm-hmm. she plotted it out carefully. And now that she's got 15 books under her belt, she's a lot more comfortable pantsing. Yes. She'll go, she'll set up a scenario and then she'll just let, let's see how it plays out. Just write mm-hmm. it, see what happens. And I think there's a lesson in that, that for first time writers, mm. I think pantsing is a very dangerous business to try and get into upfront. Mm. I think for that first book, Plot it at least to some degree. Know where you're going to some degree. Unless you're really, really confident that you've got the sort of brain that can pants. And Mm. maybe as you become more experienced, the pantsing will become more natural. I 100% agree with that. And when I think back on my own writing journey, that's exactly what I've been doing. I needed the structure of plotting initially. And now I have the the sort of comfort level and the experience, I think... (laughs) to uh, venture off into the unknown Mm. and know that something fairly coherent will come out of it. Mm. And it's a good place to be, but but be realistic about when you're going to get there. I quite agree. So if you are a plotter or a pantser, if you have thoughts on this issue, if you would like to learn how to be a humorist, if you have some insights to share on how to be funny, if you, as you probably have, have read the work of Indomiso, Please get in touch. We're on email. We're on all social media and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.